Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Padres. And as you may have guessed by uh, the sound of my voice, I was pretty excited this weekend. <laughs> Logan and I went to game three on Saturday and I went to game four with my dad. And um, safe to say that's the best weekend of my life. I don't know about you, Logan, but wow, I can't believe it actually happened. Yeah, I can't either. My voice is um, in a better shape than Johnny's. I only went to the game three, so I had an extra day of rest. Um, though I did uh, delay the healing process by screaming in my house a little bit on uh, game during game four. But yeah, I mean, wow, dude, just it just feels like we dream about this sort of thing all the time, like beating the Dodgers in the playoffs with some excitement games and it's like okay yeah it's like great to dream all this stuff and you see all these other teams doing it but it never has been us so it's like until it happens how can you expect it to be us but it finally was i know like i i don't know like i hadn't even really dreamed about this it just seemed too far-fetched like i dreamed about us winning the world series but when i like thought about it it was always just like well hopefully like in a while the Dodgers aren't good anymore or hopefully somebody else beats them. Like it, like it, honestly, it just seems so impossible. No, nah, it's funny. Yeah. I, I would, yeah. Do you know, I kind of would have to tend to agree with you on that. A lot of my dreams were, you know, beating some other team. It was like you said, somehow or another, someone beat the Dodgers and, you know, cause who, they're never going to not make the playoffs. It feels like, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty freaking incredible that, it was the Dodgers. We got to do it. Not only did we get home games at Petco, but we got to clinch at Petco in the most exciting game that Petco Park has probably ever seen. Uh, yeah, I just couldn't, can't put it into words how how much Jake Cronenworth has done for the city with that single. Absolutely, yeah. He will never have to pay for a drink again, for sure. Um but like, yeah, just it's more. It was more than a series for San Diego for the city. It's just like, this is the the epitome of you know, little brother, who's your daddy, you know, from L.A. to down to SD, and to finally you know have some bragging rights to one up them on the biggest stage. That's just huge for everybody in the city, and we saw it downtown was a mob scene literally there were cars in the intersection that couldn't go anywhere because there's just a solid mass of people in the streets like it wasn't even a parade it was just just people everywhere screaming and chanting like half an hour an hour after the game was over just delirious excitement yeah that that's so cool to see those videos and you know the dodger fans have been using that video in the 2020 wildcard series when we right. won and we line the streets and they've you know giving us a hard time you know every time that we win a game against them you know that's all over twitter look at downtown san diego right um right. but to actually have a new video and they can't talk anything about that one because it's against them it's just all the more special and i think one of the coolest things for me about the after street bar life um and i'm sure some of you have seen the video at this point now but will myers uh, oh, going yeah. down to the local bars and him and his, I believe, girlfriend. Wife. I don't know if they're married or not. Maybe they're fiance they or something. But yeah. yeah. Oh, they are married? Okay. Oh, wife. Okay, cool. Good for Myers. So, um, yeah. So they were just going to every bar, buying everyone in their drinks. Um, Myers just looked so happy. Like, I just never seen him so happy. And yeah, I know he was drunk, so that definitely helps. But like, <laughs> still, you know, he he deserves this more than anyone on the team, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, the dude has struggled with us for so long and he's had a lot of ridicule and a lot of people wanting to trade him away. And at one point or another, I've definitely looked at that Avenue and, and wanted him off the team. But now that we're here, it made everything worth it to have him on the team and to know that he's a part of this roster that finally took down the Dodgers in the playoffs. It's pretty special. It's so special. Yeah. Even if he, did strike out like eight times in the series, but that's okay. Yeah, and in like every clutch moment, but it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. We won. <laughs> we won. Yeah. I mean, all right. Let's let's try to do some actual rational breakdown of these this series. 
for anyone who somehow wasn't watching. Um, game one, we said in the pre-series episode that that was going to be the toughest one to win. Our number four starter, Mike Clevenger, who had a terrible, terrible time against the Dodgers in the regular season, going up against their fresh, rested ace coming off his ERA title, um, Julio Arias. And um, yeah, sure enough, they came out of the gate on fire, scored five runs in the first three innings. Um, Padres managed three off Arias, which was pretty good, uh, more than they got off him all year in the regular season. But uh, Clevenger's weak start was just too much to overcome there. And uh, it was a close game, you know, 5-3. They bought the tying run of the plate in the ninth, but couldn't really close the gap there. Um, But it was one of those losses where you still felt good about the team. You know, we talked about this after the game. Obviously, Logan and I have probably been on the phone for like 15 hours this week. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we fought back. We got a good performance from the bullpen, decent performance from the offense. Really the only guy who let us down in that game was Clevenger. And so we felt good heading into game two with Darvish on the mound, our ace coming off a brilliant performance in New York against the Mets and going up against Clayton Kershaw, who obviously is still really good, but the combination of his age and injuries this year, as well as some uh, notable past struggles in the postseason, uh, we, were, we were feeling pretty good about that game. And that was really an instant classic. That one took five years off my life, at least. Um, and I got to say, I've noticed that when I'm watching these games on TV, because I went to I went to game one on Tuesday in LA, but Wednesday I was watching in my apartment in Santa Barbara. And watching on TV is 10 times more stressful than going yeah. to the game. And I didn't really appreciate that until now. Obviously, I have no experience with Padres playoff baseball other than the wild card series in 2020. Um, but like when you're at the park, it's just pure excitement, or at least at Petco at Dodger Stadium, it's just pure sadness. But, you know, when you're at, at home watching on TV, all you can think about is all the ways you can go go wrong and blow this lead and you're, you know, not come back. Right. Or something like that. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, that game two was just insane. Um, Machado homered off Kershaw in the first. Darvish immediately coughed up the lead on a homer to Freeman. Then Muncie homered on a pitch or after a pitch that should have been strike three. Just a completely wild game. Um, Padres took the lead on a double from Machado and then an RBI ground out from Cronenworth up three to two. But then Trey Turner hit a leadoff home run the next inning to tie it back up at three. And that wasn't even the craziest part of the game because in the, what was it, the sixth inning when Gratterall came in. It was one of the most weird offensive innings that I can remember. First off, Brandon Drury hits a single on a first pitch fastball at 98 in off the plate, breaks his bat, falls into center field. And from then on, we hit three balls that looked completely like double plays off the bat. Cronenworth hit a ball to Freeman who couldn't turn the double play. He got the out at second, but couldn't turn it. Then Myers hits a ball to Turner. It looks like a double play ball. He boots it first and second, one out. Then Profar chops one to the right side. And I'm thinking, no, there's no way we get lucky three times in a row. But it gets through. Cronenworth scores from second. We take the lead. And we got first and third, one out. And we're looking to really, you know, blow this open, get a real comfortable lead. Grisham squares to bunt for a safety squeeze and logan i was already up out of my seat on the couch celebrating as soon as that ball got down because that play has been made probably like negative i don't know 200 times ever by the pitcher like it's been made by the third baseman more than it's made by the pitcher that's not the pitcher's ball right like you're, you're doing pfps like, you, you go back and watch that clip. Muncie should have called him off. But Gratterall was yeah. just going for it. There's so many things that have to go right in that play. He bare hands the ball 
You can't, you know, fumble it on the on the bare hand. And then, like, he makes a diving throw that perfectly hits Barnes or Smith, whoever was catching at the time, like, right on the plate. He got yeah. Myers by five feet, which is yeah. just unbelievable. It wasn't even close. Uh, no, yeah, it wasn't even close. And so that was just – that was a crazy inning. Oh, and well, then the even yeah, – yeah, I mean, it wasn't even over yet. There were two outs. And then – Austin Ola gets like two fastballs blown by him up and in, and Gratterall for some reason decides to throw him a cutter right down the middle, and he smacks it to center field. I thought it was over Bellinger's head at first, and it was, but he twisted around, did like a three sixty twist, and caught the ball over his head. Is just exactly the same situation as that uh, the last NLDS between the Dodgers when he made that insane catch. Um, to rob Tatis of a go-ahead home run. This wasn't a home run robbery, but just yeah. just absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah, that that sucked. I remember when that happened. <clears throat> you probably sounded a little dramatic to those who were watching with me, but I was literally throwing my arms up and I was like, "Wow, they're just going to be the best defensive team in like the history of baseball." All of a sudden, and yeah, you know, just it was frustrating. It really sucked because it felt like that Tatis rob because you're like. Okay, we finally get a lead, and now they just brought their entire ballpark into this game again. Right, right. Yeah, it felt like it felt like we didn't even have the momentum at that point, even though we just taken the lead. Right, um, because a one run lead doesn't feel like a lead against the Dodgers at all. No, there's no lead that feels like a lead. But yeah, I mean, we held on somehow. Crony had a huge homer off Trinan, uh, which is unbelievable. Like I gives up like three hits a month. Um, but yeah, that homer was huge. Um, <laughs> Martinez came in and the goose came in, the hater came yes. in. <laughs> and he somehow got the last six outs to finish it off. And I don't know, at that point, how are you feeling tied up one to one going back to San Diego? You know, I really did not want to say it because I was so worried about it biting me in the butt and jinxing right. anything. But I was feeling actually confident. And I'd also like to add that Dodger fans that I talked to, because I know quite a few, they were not. And it's the first time in my lifetime that I have ever felt more confident in beating the Dodgers than the Dodgers had in beating us. We had we had all the confidence and momentum coming back to Petco. I know home field advantage doesn't matter, but it clearly mattered in this series. Yeah, the Dodgers, I mean, well, you can talk about Gonsolin. The oh, my They gosh. interviewed him after game two ahead of his game three start uh, and basically asked him whether the noise at Petco would face him in his start. And uh, he said, what, the, the Dodger Stadium gets 45,000 to 50,000 people every night. And so he couldn't imagine it was louder than that at Petco. And, uh, yeah, there were plenty of signs at Petco that said, loud enough. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Took that to heart. And um, I did. Four outs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I took it to heart. It it pissed me off. And, like, not actually, but, you know, it it fired me up. And when he left the game in the second inning, I mean, that's that's when I lost my voice was when they took him out of the game. My voice was shot in the top of the second um, and I lost it screaming at Tony Gonsolin. So, you know, everyone there was, was pretty ecstatic to see him leaving. Yeah. Now I've got a, a kind of secondary story here because I did not lose my voice screaming at Tony Gonsolin because I wasn't even at the ballpark yet. Fake fan. Yeah. Due to some terrible circumstances. So uh, I had to leave santa barbara friday morning to get down to the game and so i usually if i need to get home quickly i would take a direct flight from santa barbara airport to san diego with alaska but alaska canceled their flight their direct flight so i had to go with southwest via las vegas and it was still going to be like pretty comfortable. I had an hour long layover, which was going to be fine in Vegas. And then 
I was going to get into the ballpark at 3.50, hour and 40 minutes before first pitch. Um, and, the you know, everybody knows San Diego, the airport is right in downtown. So it's going to be really easy to get down to the ballpark with an hour to spare at least. Um, but things went wrong very quickly. I was getting texts from the airport. You know, your flight is delayed. Your flight is delayed. Your flight is delayed. First, it was my flight out of Santa Barbara. Um, and that one cut the layover down to a half hour in Vegas. So that would, that made me pretty nervous because obviously if I missed the the layover, I'd really be screwed. But then the flight from Vegas to San Diego got delayed too. And like, it was just a complete like collapse of the transportation because I did take my flight from Santa Barbara to Vegas and I was expecting to land, have an hour layover, and then get on the plane to San Diego. And now after the first delay, it was supposed to be like a 4.30 or 4.20 landing, which would still give me time to get to the ballpark like with, with time to spare. Not as much as before, but maybe a half hour to spare. And I land in Vegas, rush over to the next gate where my plane is. And... Pretty much immediately, they come on the PA system and announce that it's going to be delayed again. And the reason they gave is that they needed to fix a tray table on the plane. And man, when I tell you I heard that, oh my gosh, dude. (laughs) If I missed the playoffs because of a tray table, I would have sued Southwest so hard. (laughs) But it turned out that was a complete lie because you could look out the window and see a dude on a ladder underneath the belly of the plane with hydraulic fluid dripping out into a Home Depot bucket. So I'm pretty sure that it was not a tray table that was actually a problem. (laughs) But that did delay it another hour. So I didn't even take off until 5.10 or 5.15 it was just that hour's wait or two hours wait was so brutal. Just knowing that I had no chance of making first pitch for the first playoff game at home in 16 years. That was just, that was terrible. But yeah, I landed at, gosh, I don't even know, 6, 6.05, 6.10. Rushed over to the ballpark. Um, my mom picked me up from the airport. Thanks, mom. Love you. Moms are the best. Uh, Yes, I got there right as Gonslim was being chased, so I didn't have. To yeah, you got really. there. You got there in a fairly surprising amount of time, given when you left, because uh, you you got in the air in Vegas with like twenty five minutes until game time or less. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a short flight. It's only like it's less than an hour, fifty minutes ish. Um, and yeah, it was all optimized for speed i landed got in my mom's car she had my jersey my tony Gwynn jersey put it on down to the ballpark went in as fast as i could there was no lines at the at the gates because everyone was inside so that helped yeah yeah that's the Um, one time that there'll be nobody in the second inning trying to get into the ballpark (laughs) right exactly so yeah and then i went up the escalators to the third deck and found you and my dad and then I lost my voice. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty pretty crazy. And so then, by the time Johnny gets there, right, Gonsolin had been chased, but Heaney comes in and he gets out of it. And so he had a little bit of a jam, first and third, nobody out, top of the order, and he gets out of it. Some idiotic decisions by the Padres that there's no need to really get into. But um, I mean, the game was just kind of like okay, this team gets a runner or two on, someone in scoring position, pitcher gets out of it. And that just kept happening pretty much every inning. At least one team had some chances and didn't come through. And then Barry Bonds came. I mean, sorry, Trent Grisham came to the plate. (laughs) And this dude launches a ball to right field. Everyone knew it was gone right away. First pitch of the inning, too. It wasn't even like, you know, first pitch, middle of the Like, everyone, no one was, like, ready. It was kind of like, okay, here we go. Let's have a good A B here. Gone. 
and dude, that was that was the first time that we had an offensive explosion in the crowd because the first inning, Cronenworth got the hit. It was really cool. Everyone was going crazy. But when he hit the home run, that was like zero, not zero. You know, it was still loud, but it was like zero to a hundred. Every other moment in the game had the anticipation and then it exploded, but that was like nothing. And it was like crazy loud and everyone was screaming. It was just crazy. Just crazy. That's the only word I can really say. The sea, the sea of towels waving. uh, Yeah. Cause awesome. Because videos of yeah, because just to set the scene a little bit for for our viewers, like our listeners, I should say, we were essentially directly behind home plate. Like I was aligned with the the right handed batter's box, and Johnny was pretty much like inside corner of the plate to a righty, if not right behind home. So we had like overview seats in the third deck. They were right and way back there. We could see everybody. And let like, if you're just a diehard fan of a team. Johnny, you, you second me on this. I think you kind of mentioned this to me because Johnny, the second time he went, he said at the first level, that's the place to be in a playoff game. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're really going there as like, you know, like Logan and I are to, to scream our voices out and like <laughs> you know, jump up and down and wave your towels and be super into it, the third deck is the place to be. And I love that view right behind them, but you could just see all the fans and, you know, it's not about being able to call balls and strikes exactly. You know, it's not about being able to see the pitch, the break of the pitch, you know. It's about the whole atmosphere in a playoff game. And, yeah, so the the day after in game four, we sat um, in our season ticket seats, my dad and I, which are in the first level but pushed back up under the uh, overhang. Well, not quite under the overhang. We're actually, like, the first – row that's not under the overhang which actually became important because it rained (laughs) (laughs) but you know those are the rich people seats and the rich people don't get excited as much um there were people in front of us who literally didn't stand up like the entire game until the last out they just weren't into it at all and um it was just like not as cool of an atmosphere obviously it was still 10 times better than any regular season game but um yeah i preferred the third deck i liked it yeah and it it was it was great i mean you know johnny i'm obviously extremely jealous of because he got to go to the clinching game and i mean the chronoworth hit i can't even imagine being at the stadium but game three i I know we kind of have gone a little tangent here but to kind of get you with game three so grisham hits the home run and then correct me if i'm wrong is it the next half inning that they get the run back to make it two to one there's the next half inning yeah yeah so then they respond but it could have been a lot worse um for sure yeah so Mookie Betts hits the sack fly and so then you have uh runner at third one out and he gets Trey Turner to pop up and then Freddie Freeman what does Freeman do he grounded to Machado that's right, yeah. For Sharp ground ball to, to Machado after Machado and Nola collided to catch the fly ball from Turner. So you have that happen, and then after that, it was just, okay, Blake Snell gets into trouble, Nick Martinez comes in, strikes out Justin Turner, and then fields a swinging bunt. That place goes crazy. So everyone's screaming. He was pumped up. He was pumped up. Our voices were already lost, and we were trying to find something in our like lower chest to scream. Even, <laughs> um, yep. Then next half inning, Luis Garcia comes in, and it's the first time he had pitched since Game Two of the Mets series. So it was a little bit like, okay, it's been a minute. You know, Garcia has had times in the past where he struggled with his location. Gets out of it. Gets out of. I think one guy got on, and then he got out of it. Pretty nice. And then our unsung hero of the postseason next to Trent Grisham, yeah, Robert Suarez, Bobby, he comes in and just does his thing. And then Hater. Hater comes in and he shuts the door. The Potter's offense didn't really do much for the rest of the game, obviously, because it was a two-to-one ball game. And Hater shuts the door. And, I mean, that was just complete elation at in Petco. 
Totally. Totally. And I, I will say, though, the least hype closer entrance I have ever seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's his his song, for those of you who know, it's literally Every Chance That I Get by DJ Khaled. It's the most basic, like, you know, hype rap song. It's not, a, it's not unique. It's not special in any way. Yeah. Um, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, he can play Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was just, that was so awesome to realize like, holy crap, we, we have an advantage. Like we can win this series yeah. tomorrow. Um, just, yeah, it, it definitely didn't sink in for a, a while for me, at least like, you know, I still, it's hard to unlearn that, that, um, feeling of, I don't know, I guess nervousness around the Dodgers. Like you can never dread. Uh, for me, it's dread. Yeah, just yeah. dread. Like, yeah, just waiting to lose. Yeah, but but it didn't happen because Game Four was was just amazing. I mean, yeah, I'll tell talk about this one because I was the only one of us there. But um, so first of all, it starts with a rain delay, which is basically unprecedented in Petco Park history. It's happened like five times or something since '04 maybe 10, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it starts in a rain delay. Come out of the rain delay, Musgrove is pitching well, but you can tell pretty much from the start that he doesn't have his like super dominant stuff. Um, and we're all waiting for Tyler Anderson to turn back into a pumpkin because the man has a 4.15 ERA for his career and somehow went 15 and 5 this year with the Dodgers. <laughs> with the sub three ERA. So um it was very frustrating to be two hit for him uh, by him for five innings. Um and he never turned back into a pumpkin. But fortunately you will have the entire off season to uh undergo that transformation because he will not pitch again. Because even though the Dodgers got out to a two nothing lead on a uh double by Freddie Freeman and my gosh, that man was just unbelievable that day like three for four with two doubles um and a hit by pitch yeah i don't know why we didn't walk him in that situation i understand it would have loaded the bases but i don't know anyway yeah two nothing lead for the dodgers but musgrove pitched certainly pitched well enough to keep us in the game six innings two runs eight k's um really a solid outing against the dodgers but the offense could do nothing against anderson um, they got a couple singles off Chris Martin in the sixth, but couldn't bust through there either. So, you know, we're going to the seventh inning, and it's feeling pretty, um, I don't know, pretty tense, pretty nervous. You know, like at this point I'm thinking, oh, shoot, you know, we're, we might have to go back to L.A. It's looking like we're going to have to go back to L.A. and face Arias with a bullpen game or Darvish on short rest. Not, not really looking good. We send out Steven Wilson for the top of the seventh. And uh, that's when the chaos starts. There's a drone delay on the field. <laughs> Somebody had flown a drone out onto the field. And um, it just kind of hovered there over the infield for a minute, like back of second base. Cronenworth took off his glove, and, like pretended to throw it at it. Somebody rolled him a ball from the dugout so he could actually throw something at it. But that would have been great. Ball, yeah, that like we were all chanting for him to throw it. But um, by the time the ball got out to him, the drone had flown off up into the up first and then out past center field. So and quick side was, note. Quick side note. They did. A, they ended up arresting the guy who flew the drone. Oh, they caught him. Yeah, because I think you, I mean, can, yeah, yeah. you have to register those things. So they probably were able to get it. With all the cameras, they probably well, yeah, found out I whose mean, drone it was. It's, it seems like it should be pretty illegal to stop a national you know, broadcast for five minutes. Very. Having you know, millions of people waiting for you to move your drone. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that was the first weird thing that I think. And then... So Wilson proceeds to load the bases with nobody out, which was just very frustrating. Um, 
No, I was gonna say, and I'd like to note at that point, once the bases were loaded, my mind was at here we go again. This is what the Dodgers do. They finally are hot. They got their bats working. They're gonna blow this game open. We're gonna lose eight to one, and they're gonna come and steamroll us tomorrow. That's where my mind was at this point. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't that far into it just because, as I said, like you can't, you don't have those thoughts at the game because you're just so in the moment when you're at the ballpark. But yeah, the nerves were were big at that point. We take out Wilson, um, put in Palomar's finest. Yes, Demar. sir. First pitch, line drive off the bat of Will Smith over Profar's head, but he gets back there and makes the catch. Runners at first and second, one out with a run in, so three to nothing Dodgers now. And at this point, I'm like, okay, you know, we've gotten out of a lot of first and second one out jams this series we can like actually that wasn't probably the worst thing to happen then. yeah um and then after smith it's muncie and i'm like okay you know left on left we got this you can get a ground ball you can strike him out whatever first pitch i'm like step off step off i literally yell oh that's awesome was, it, yeah they double stole double they executed the double steal off tim hill uh, Muncie took the pitch. Is so yeah, double steal, second and third, one out now. And I'm like, God dang it! You know, this is this just like you can't let that happen against the Dodgers. That you can't give them extra bases. Um, but he came back to strike out Muncie, which was huge. Second and third, two outs. It's a ground ball from Justin Turner. Gets out of the inning, and like. You know, it felt good, obviously, to get out of the inning, but still, you're down three nothing with nine outs to play. I don't know if I was really committed to this. I would go look back at the regular season. I'm gonna say that there were two or fewer times in the 81 games of regular season Padres baseball at home this season that we came back from three run deficit in the seventh inning or later. Yeah, I can't think of one. You might have been at one, right? Uh, when you were GM for a day. I don't think that was the. Se- I think we came back before the seventh. Before like, the seventh, I think okay. it, was, it was five to nothing, and then I think we got it to five to four or something by the sixth inning or seventh inning. I'm not. Yeah, because sure. because just like quickly, like we've talked about this a little bit. This regular season didn't have that many exciting moments. So I kind of feel like you're probably right about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were exciting moments. But yeah, there weren't. we weren't the comeback team that we were in 2021. Um, we didn't have Tatis. I, like, honestly, I think that's really the explanation there. Um, but anyway, down 3 nothing, going into the seventh. They replace Chris Martin with uh, Tommy Canely, who had destroyed us this series this stupid little change up that he throws 80 percent of the time um and we've got the bottom of our order leading off seven eight nine which usually is a three automatic outs but this series they're hitting like 400 so i was actually feeling decently good about this profile leads off with a walk which was huge um and really not a not a competitive walk he bounced a few pitches um so that was good. Grisham comes up to a chance of MVP. Lines a single into center field. Although, man, that was nerve-wracking because Thompson had made a diving catch earlier in the game. On a similarly placed ball. Yeah, yeah, very similarly placed ball. He lays out for this one, but traps it. And, man, I mean, what a play. It's got to be pure luck on his part, but what a play to pick that ball on the dive. If it gets by him, that's a triple for Grisham run scores we got a runner on third with nobody out but he blocks it we got first and third nobody out with nola coming up and like i don't even know what i was thinking at this point my brain was probably in the process of shutting off um yeah he got down o2 he took two fastballs for strikes um and like I was yelling at him probably. I don't know. And I wasn't yelling at him, but just like, come on, man, swing the bat. You can't go down looking. 
Um, gets a 0-2 changeup on the outside corner. Hits a one-hopper between first and second. And, man, that dive from Freddie Freeman just kind of happened in slow motion. Goes off his glove. Everybody's, you know, super excited. Run scores. First and second, nobody out. And at this point, it's like, okay, we got a shot. We got a shot. Top of the order is coming up. Two on, nobody out. Hangley doesn't (laughs) have it. But. But. (laughs) They take out Tommy Canely. And they put in. in That is no bueno. Because Jesse Del Monte has faced five Padres in this series. And he has struck out every single one. (laughs) So our chances of scoring did not look good. So, Kim comes up. He's already struck out against Del Monte in game one, or maybe two. I can't remember. Game two. It was game two. And I'm telling him, don't swing. Take until you get two strikes. (laughs) First, he squares to bunt. And Melvin later said that he didn't really want Kim to bunt there. um, It wasn't a sign from from the dugout. But he takes a ball. That I thought was a strike from the crowd, but I don't know. I couldn't tell for the first. It was. Pitch. It was a ball. Okay, takes another ball, gets up two zero. I mean, don't swing, don't swing, don't swing. <laughs> Swings a two zero sinker below the zone. Swings and misses two and one. I'm like, come on, man, you could have had a walk. Um, and then he throws him another sinker two one, chops it to third. Oh my gosh. Like I can't explain to you how many times that Kim has hit that ball and it's been a double play or even a triple play with Muncie playing on the bag at third. Yeah. But Muncie was playing off the line. He dives for it and can't get it. It's fair. We're all jumping up and down. Like, Oh my gosh. I literally, I had tears in my eyes at that point because just like, it felt like a movie. You know, we're coming back. We score a run there. It's second and third. Nobody out with one Soto coming up. And, yeah, I I, I don't know, man. I might have blacked out at that point. Um, Soto was doing his shuffle. He got up 2-0 in the count. Hooked a fastball for a base hit. I mean, this place just exploded. Um. Yeah, like even even the people in our section were just completely losing it at that point. Um, so now it was what first and third, still nobody out. Machado coming up, but Almonte strikes him out on a two-two slider um, to bring up Drury, and then Drury man popped up a first pitch fastball, um, which is really unfortunate. And then that kind of sucked a little bit of the energy out of the ballpark because we still hadn't taken the lead. We tied it at three, but, you know, you really want to take the lead with that, you know, first and third, nobody out opportunity. Um, And then Cronenworth comes up still with Almonte in the game. And this is when it gets even crazier because he takes a first pitch ball. He squares to bunt. First of all, with two outs, takes a ball down and in, and then Roberts comes out to take out Almonte. And you can speak to this more than I can because you were watching on TV. What happened there? So pretty much Dave Roberts panicked when he saw Cronenworth coming up and had Mark Pryor, the pitching coach, call down to the bullpen and give Vasia up. Well, Vasia threw four maybe five warm-up pitches and so robert's decision was instead of trying the million stall tactics that you can do let Almonte throw a pitch and then take him out and that's what he did and then he slowly walked out there and was not going to signal to the to the pen to take him out until he got out there but Vasia, by the time robert started to leave the dugout knew he was coming in so he just like started going so instead of getting probably two, could have gotten three more pitches, he just started walking towards the field. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, 
master class mess up job by Dave Roberts, to say the least. Yeah, and we uh we may be previewing a bit here. A friend of ours who's a Dodgers fan has requested to come on the podcast and complain about Dave Roberts. He also so, works for Major League uh, Baseball, so there, he has some qualifications there. He does, yes. He's the official photographer for the Arizona Fall League this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ballpark is still buzzing at this point, but it's kind of a nervous energy. The SIA comes in. I can't decide whether to be more or less confident because it's a lefty-lefty matchup, but Almonte, you know, obviously has insane strikeout stuff. And before Vesia can throw a pitch, there's another delay because a security guard is stuck inside the center field wall and he can't get back into the bullpen. <laughs> he has to <laughs> run around to gate and get into the bullpen. Oh my God. Just like, you can't make this stuff up. Just so much weird stuff was happening. It's like, is this real? What is going on right now? And then... I'm telling Cronenworth, first pitch, first pitch. You know, he's going to lay a fastball in there. He's already behind 1-0. Takes a first pitch strike, which apparently wasn't a strike. Off no. the outside corner. To get to 1-1. And gets a fastball up in the zone. Fouls it off, down 1-2. And at this point, I really wasn't confident. Yeah. Um, and I thought that pitch... The one-two pitch. I thought that was strike three because it was closer than the oh one or the one zero pitch. But he called it a ball. Soto shuffles into second base, the slowest stolen base in history. And then, I mean, oh my gosh, just what an approach! Is the exact same approach that he had against Gonsolin in Game One. He got a high splitter up and away. This is the same pitch, left-handed slider. The same movement as the right-handed splitter. Just off the plate away, belt buckle high, just serves it out to center field, smooth bat path. As soon as it hit its bat, I knew it was down for a single. I was jumping up and down. I turned around to the Dodger fans behind me, yelled in their face. It was just so amazing. At that point, it felt like we couldn't lose. There's no way. Just everything had broke right for us in that inning. And uh, and then the skies opened up right then. It started raining, started pouring. I thought they were going to have to delay the game, but they didn't. We played through it. We brought in Suarez for the eighth. Boom, one, two, three. Brought in Hader for the ninth. Boom, almost an immaculate inning. Ten pitches, three strikeouts. I mean, we didn't sit down from the seventh inning on in that game. And, uh, yeah, just... What an amazing atmosphere. Yeah, and it was incredible to see on TV because all these fans are just not going anywhere. You know, they're sticking oh, yeah. out in the yeah. rain. You know, it wasn't not like it was some monsoon or anything, but regular season, everyone's heading for the covers. Um, and I right. would have a safe bet that if we were still down 3-0, to some people probably would have headed for the cover. But because we would just right. done what we did, the rain only added to the fun that the fans seemed to be having. Um, it was quite a scene, and that this series made San Diego sports look so good. So good. Yeah. It's, I couldn't be prouder of the fans for just giving it their all and uh, sticking it out of the rain. There's just so many insane moments. The Ha Sung Kim chant when he came up, uh, like just so loud and clear. And the Beat LA chant when Soto was coming up. Oh my gosh. Like literally, I was yelling as loud as I could and I couldn't even hear myself over everybody else. It was just so, such a great, great feeling. I've seen videos of people a couple blocks away. Yeah. You can hear the crowd. Thing word for word is just, just amazing. Yeah, it's definitely something that we would love to get used to uh, here in San Diego. Sure. But that's also part of the reason it makes it more special because, you know, we're not the Dodgers. We're not the Yankees. We're not in the playoffs every single year. And there's no expectation of World Series every year. 
it's a hope. It's, hey, hopefully right. we can do it. But you know what's happened year after year after year. And, you know, if we don't talk about the 2020 season, because that's just a weird year for so many reasons, the Padres hadn't been in this situation in a playoff series, in an NLDS for that matter, since 2006. So it's not like, you know, there's a generation gap between the last time. It's almost a two-generation gap that we're talking yeah. about that really has seen the last time a Padres won a game in San Diego. What about 1998? It was not at Petco Park because in 2006, we didn't win crap. So two generations have not seen Padres win a game at Petco Park. And Johnny and my generation has only seen two playoff wins prior to this year. And those were at Petco Park in front of nobody. So right. it was weird. And, and it just like you see all these fan bases that constantly get to go to playoff games. Go put the Phillies and Padres games side by side to the Yankees and Dodgers games. They're not the same. They're not. The energy is not the same. And it's not really even close. There's excitement, but it's not the same. The Yankees didn't even sell out their home playoff games, either one. So if that gives you kind of an idea of like, okay, ALDS, yeah, that's cool, but we've seen so many World Series, we've seen so many pennants, like, it's not special, so why do we need to go? But for Johnny and I, it's like, oh my gosh, ALDS, we have to go. Like, there's no way in, in chance in, in our lives that we are not going to this. We will, you know, we'll go into debt. Right. Like, what, you know, like, we'll go to that no matter what. But for these fan bases, it's an expectation. and in a sense, it kind of makes all the struggles worth it because it's that much more special. Yeah, like I'm literally staying home for most of this week to go to the NLCS because this has never happened before in my life. And I'm not going to miss that for, you know, if I get a B in a class because of this, who cares? And this is coming from a guy who got like straight A's in high school. Um, yeah, I care a lot about my grades, but I don't care nearly as much as I care about seeing this. Like this could be a once in a lifetime thing, you know. You just don't, you don't see it very often. No, no, you just really don't. And yeah, uh, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's that thing where it's like you don't want to miss it because what if you're not back for another fifteen, twenty years? Because you just right. don't know. Like, look at the Dodgers. You could you could build a perennial, perennial superstar team that just continues to pump out talent and the best talent in baseball. And let's like let's look at the Dodgers. I mean, the last nine of the last ten years they've won the division. If you're winning the division that often, you're probably one of the top three to five teams in the entire sport, right? So if you're one of the top three to five teams every year. And only one of those years you've won at all, you know, it's, it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to make it to the ALDS, but we pretty much just want to win it all or it's not even worth it. And that's the kind of response you see from Dodgers fans. But for Padres fans, had they lost this series, it would have sucked. It really would have, but there would have still been appreciation for the fact that they brought baseball back to San Diego in a playoff format. So, you know, the fact that, we've made it here and the Dodgers didn't, we deserved it. We really do. Yeah. And like, okay. So if the Dodgers had won this series and then lost in the next round, it, they would have had the same reaction as, as losing in this round, maybe a tiny bit better, but not really, you know, it's like it's world series or bust. Right. But if we lose in this next round, this season will be an unqualified success and will go down as a top three season in Padres history. You know, like, it's just, there's a difference there. Beating the Dodgers is almost as good as winning a World Series for this city. Correct. And and you can say that that's sad, and, and it might be. But at the same time, hopefully that kind of just makes you understand how much it means to the city. That winning an ALDS game against, you know, just a rival is, in a sense, a World Series to us. It just... It's it's pretty surreal in a lot of ways, and you know we were sitting behind in Game Three. We were sitting behind these Dodger fans, and they were little kids. Um, you know what would you say, eight or nine? 
And, you know, they were sad, you know, not, not to the point of crying, but they were obviously pretty sad. That game didn't go their way and they had some opportunities and it was just like a little bit of hope drained. And, you know, I don't mean to be a jerk, but I did not feel bad for the kids at all because they've grown up their entire lives seeing teams that are the best team in the entire sport, essentially, if not the best, the second best. And you constantly get pumped out talent after talent and expectation and expectations and World Series and making it all the way every year. And it's a disappointment to make the playoffs and be an ALDS team. That's a disappointment. But for us, we how many 60-win teams did we see growing up? I mean, (laughs) like from ages, like what? six to 14 i don't think we saw a team win more than 70 like three games and yeah. you know at 2010 we had like an 82 win team or something but that was right good. and that was literally the only and team we lost, the in a row. we lost 10 in a row in september missed the playoffs it's just it means a lot it really does mean a lot um wow uh yeah just wow all right i think we've talked about this Series enough. We should we should move on to the uh, NLCS against the Phillies. Um, which honestly, like, wow, this is going to be insane. Two of the the two lowest seeds in the NL will be matched up in the NLCS. The eighty seven win Phillies and the eighty nine win Padres. <laughs> Who would have thought that we would have home field advantage in the NLCS? I know, like, the that's so five. funny. It's so funny. Yeah. But we're underdogs, by the way. Apparently. Yeah, if you ask the TBS crew, not a single one of those guys gave the Padres uh, their vote for winning the series. So I've still yet to see That's a national cool. national outlet give us a single, single chance to win this playoffs, to win a playoff series. I mean, we're literally like 0 for, I think, 15, if you include the seven or eight people from the Mets series and the five from the, or the four from the, uh, Dodger series and then the four guys from here. I mean, it's literally not a single person I've seen vote. Give us a shot. <laughs> Keep sleeping. I know it's good. I hundred percent. I'm so glad that we're being slept on. So glad. Yeah, because this is the most minimal of the three series we played. Right. Easily. On paper. On paper. Right. On paper. Yeah. So game one tomorrow. Logan and I will be there with my dad as well. And we will see, presumably, we will definitely see you, Darvish, and presumably he will face Zach Wheeler for the Phillies. Should be an awesome pitching matchup. Game two should be Snell versus Nola. Game three, um, after an off day Wednesday, or after an off day Thursday, shifts to Philly on Friday. Game three should be Snell versus. Presumably Ranger Suarez in Philadelphia. Um, game four. I don't that's know. a question mark. Not, yeah, that's a question mark. It's gonna be that's gonna be basically what game five of the NLDS would have been. Um, some combination of bullpen day, Clevenger, Manaya. Well, we won't we won't start Darvish on short rest on that day because we'll start it with no. normal rest. Game five. So, and then game four, I'm not entirely sure the Phillies would start. Um, Kyle Gibson, maybe. Bailey Falter, maybe. Um, nobody uh, really. Well, no, game four? They'll probably go Syndergaard. Yeah. Oh, Syndergaard, yeah. Okay. Right. They used him for, what, two innings, three innings against the Braves? Yeah, and it, he probably couldn't go long. But there's no way they throw Gibson. I mean, that would be like us throwing Clever Jerry against the Dodgers. Pretty stupid, you know? Okay. All right, so probably Syndergaard, game four. And then game five, it's back to the top of the rotation thanks to the off day. So that would be another Darvish-Wheeler game. And then game six would be another uh, Snell-Nola game. And game seven is where it gets tricky because there's an off day between games two and three, but not between games uh, five and six. So your game Three. three... starters would not be able to pitch on normal rest in game seven where they usually would be. So we have a choice there probably of doing Musgrove on short rest. If it gets to a game seven. Yeah. Um, 
it's the most likely scenario, especially coming off. Uh, what would that be? Four straight games, five straight games, or coming off four straight games. Their bullpen would be uh, in pretty bad shape anyway, so I'll probably need to use a starter there. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pitching matchup, I feel like favors us. I feel like their 1-2 is as good as a 1-2 as we can potentially even face. But right. we just have three guys that could all right. be ones or twos. And that's the difference. And that's kind of what showed up in the Dodgers series. Um, the question, the real question is, and we're not going to get too deep into this in this episode. Um, well, we're going to have an episode where we break down both championship series coming out in the next couple of days here. But, you know, I think this series really comes down to, at least from the Phillies perspective, can their bats stay hot and can those back and bullpen arms stay hot? Because they haven't necessarily been doing this all year, what they're doing right now. Right. So, no. and neither of the Padres. No, neither of the Padres, but I will say sure. we've, we've been more consistent than the yeah. Phillies. They had really big roller coaster season. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. So, what do you, f- how are you feeling about this series going into it? Because I know for me, Met series, I was nervous. I had kind of throw up, I, I could go either way if we were going to win or lose the Dodgers series. I was pretty much just hoping that we could win one game so we could, you and I could see a good game. I really did not expect us to win that series, let alone in four. So, how do you feel about this series? Well, I mean, to to say I expect us to win is probably an exaggeration. Um, I think we have the on-paper advantage for the first time. I'm a little worried about a bit of a letdown effect after we've just, you know, slayed the Dragon, beat the Dodgers. Are we going to be able to bring that same intensity to a Philadelphia series? You know, we don't have a beat Philly chant. I know, right? Beat LA chant. So... I don't know. Hopefully we can, hopefully we can still bring that intensity. Hopefully we can still be fired up by the national media not respecting us. Um, unfortunately, just as I've always said, every playoff series is hardly better than a fifty-fifty coin flip. So I'd say we have the edge, but I'm not confident at all in a sense of like, oh yeah, we've got an eighty percent chance of winning this series. I would not even close. Yeah. No, I think that kind of emulates how I feel as well. I mean, this feels like a winnable series, and going into it, it feels like the most winnable. But we're at the point in the playoffs, especially now, where it's like every team is here for a reason. And whether that's because they played really well through the regular season and just keep dominating, or they're hot, and that's kind of the case for the Phillies, they're just really hot right now, and so are we. But, you know, there's that little bit of nerve factor. It's like, okay, well, what if they just stay really hot and are really good pitching? Just, you know, every mistake that they make, the Phillies jump on it. Because the Dodgers, they didn't jump on every mistake. The Mets didn't jump on every mistake. But that's usually how baseball is. But you watch the Phillies game. I mean, my gosh, every single mistake the Braves made on the mound, the Phillies exploited it. And then every mistake they made in the field, next thing you know, and this is including the Cardinals series for the Phillies, Next thing you know, the Phillies are putting up runs. And it's a scary lineup that's playing really deep right now, and so is the Padres. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really think it's going to come down to who can hit more. I think whoever hits the most in this series, I know that's kind of obvious, like, you know, whoever scores more runs will win. But I don't really think it's going to be that. I think it, it more so, like, whose bats stay hot the whole series. I think yeah. that's going to be the difference. If someone can stay hot the entire series, that team's going to win. Yeah. It's, it's a matchup of two Cinderella's, which doesn't usually happen in the playoffs. Um, but you want to get into that because uh, there's certainly been some consternation about this uh, matchup in the NLCS and more more so who isn't here than who is here. Right, so yeah, well, let's end, let's kind of end on talking about this, and it's kind of turning into somewhat of a long episode here, but you know, it was a fun weekend, so you can't blame us. Um, yeah, so you know, the Padres' first series win was oh, you know, Musgrove's ear, and that, it kind of got overshadowed that we just won, and then now, if and also you're the in, like you know, Mets gonna Met kind of right. It was more about how the Mets lost and how we not that we won. 
And now it's more about, and this is for the Phillies and Padres, it's more about how the Braves and the Dodgers got screwed because they got a bye and they lost their offensive timing. And that's why the Padres and Phillies were able to be hot. And that's why they won the series. Now, this isn't a consensus, but there is enough attention out there nationally to the point where it's a thing. And, you know, this really frustrates me because, and, and I'm a firm believer there's never ever a side in an argument that is 100% right. So if I do have to concede, yes, there's 100% something to major league hitters getting those five days rest and coming back and needing a little bit of time to kind of get used to the timing and hitting. You're in a flow for a 162-game season. You see it after the All-Star break. It happens all the time. But, but the Dodgers came out swinging in the first inning of game one. They beat us five to three. It's not like they won two to one and then they lost one to two. Like I know they struggled with runners in scoring position as a whole in this series, but it is not like they didn't hit. You cannot argue that they didn't hit because they did. They got a lot of hits this series. They yeah, just they didn't. scored. They scored five runs in the first three innings of game one, and then right. they scored what a combined like three plus one plus three another seven in the rest of the series combined exactly and, and so this narrative that the dodgers would have won and you know what maybe they would have maybe they would have but that is not how it was played and you cannot say that that is the only thing that matters when it comes to getting those extra off days can they not reset the rotation i mean heck the Padres had to start mike clevenger against julio urias and maybe maybe just hear me out the padres are a good team I mean, they Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, three of the hottest pitchers in the last month of the season, month and a half, like literally in the entire sport. Musgrove was allowed like one run in his last four outings going into the postseason. Snell had been one of the best pitchers the entire second half, and Darvish was pitcher of the month. So maybe, just maybe, the pitchers are really good, and they shut them down. I don't know. I mean, is that a crazy, crazy uh, analysis there that we just pitched better than they hit? No, I think that's that's perfectly true. And yeah, okay, maybe they had a little rust from the um, days off. But if you asked a team, you know, if you gave them the choice of having the bye or playing in the wildcard round, every single one of them would take the bye. Because you have to fight. You have another chance to lose, you know, if you play another round. That's just, a team would never choose to, to go through that. And also... If you're looking at, you know, NBA playoffs, NFL playoffs, I'm not really as sure as familiar with the NHL playoffs, but I'm assuming it's the same way. The other teams would kill for this many Cinderella stories. They mm-hmm. love the underdog story, you know? And as soon as some underdogs win in the MLB playoffs, it's all oh, gotta change the format. Unbelievable how hundred win teams can't make the World Series. It's just not fair. Um and I don't know, like, maybe I'm just seeing more of this this year because it's relevant to the Padres, and so I'm getting more of it. But the Braves won 88 games in the regular season last year, and they won the World Series, and nobody complained about that. Nobody complained when the Nationals did either. Right. Both teams right. just got hot at the right time, but you can't get hot at the right time, um, especially nowadays. I mean, <laughs> low-key, this is like, a societal issue, right? Like if, if I'm not winning, then something else must be blamed because I can't lose. I mean, that's kind of like how right. it feels. It's like, if I can't win, then it's not my fault that I lost. Someone else did something. Right. The best team in baseball, all the 107 win giants got eliminated in the NLDS last year. How did the 106, how did, yeah. How did the 116 win Seattle Mariners do again? Yeah. Lost in the second round. I mean, the, the things like this happen no matter what. And you can't say it's because of a short season either that the Mariners lost in the ALCS seven game series. So, you know, it's, it's just how the playoffs work. And unless you just want to dole out a regular season championship, like the LA times was suggesting, yeah, then you're going to have to deal with this. Yeah. To say the least, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot more we can get into this, and I'm sure we will be mentioning it throughout numerous episodes in the future because this will become a topic, and I feel like we're going to have to discuss it as a whole. 
But man, I mean, like you said, you expand the playoffs and this is a huge reason you do it. So more teams get in and you get more drama and more upsets. So yeah, it just, it bugs me. It really bugs me. Maybe, you know, you change the formatting if in four years, you know, 90% of the the teams that get buys end up losing. But I mean, really, we're going to overreact to one year, two teams upset. Yeah. And it's not even a complete year. If the Yankees win game five tonight against the Guardians, it'll be a 50-50 split. Right. And we see 50-50 splits all the time. Right. Yeah. And my favorite thing about this is no matter how much they complain, they can't do anything about it because the CBA is in place until 2026. So they're going to have to deal with this playoff format for at least another four years. And after that, you know, in 2025, the 89 win Dodgers are going to win the world series and they're going to be begging for this playoff format to come back. So there, you know, it's 100% true. It's beyond frustrating, but We'll digress because at the end of the day, we advanced and the Dodgers and their fans will be watching us have fun. in Cancun, baby. Let's go. Let's go. So unless there's anything else you want to talk about, Johnny, like I said earlier, this one is going to be a little bit on the longer side, but we were kind of fanboying for a little bit. So yeah, I should probably stop talking and save my voice for the game on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that thing can get back before you ruin it again for another couple of days. But <laughs> um, yeah, thank you guys for tuning into this one. And if you lasted this long, really appreciate you listening. And uh, just don't forget to hit us up on our social medias. We got the Twitter and the Instagram, uh, you know, Twitter being at the PTC pod and our Instagram being painting the corners pod. Um, get all your updates on when our episodes drop there. Um, and any kind of you know insider information we like uh, tweeting out or or fun facts that we try to you know implement into our Twitter. So definitely check us out there. But yeah, unless you got anything else, Johnny, um, we'll talk to you guys later. Yeah, we'll try to get out a uh, NLCS and ALCS preview episode tomorrow once those pesky Yankees and Guardians finish up their long series. And um, yeah, bring you keep bringing you more more playoff episodes, uh, more Padres episodes while the Padres are still in it and um, playoff episodes through the world series. Hopefully those go hand in hand all the way to the end, but even if not, we will still have you covered. So yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Deuces.